All right, all right, all right. <coughs> all right, whew, all right. I have to do the intro, and it's my own personal running joke that I hate, 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 hate doing the intro because it seems so, you know, like forced and artificial and disingenuous. <laughs> what you gotta do, what you gotta do, man. <laughs> all right, all right, all right, all right. Hello, world. Welcome back to the Flores and Friends podcast. We are back. We were we took a hiatus during the summer uh, to give me a chance to uh, recharge my creative juices, and that sounds dirtier than it should, but it it is what it is. We had an episode a couple weeks back with Stephen and Anthony. I think it went pretty well. Strictly sports got a lot of. <laughs> I gotta be honest. That is probably like when you get the three of us in a room. That is probably the closest you'll ever come to actually capturing what it's like three of us talking anyway enough about the past we're in the present right now we're living in the present we have a special special occasion today we have a first timer on today an old friend of mine jay lasheri is that that how you say it lasheri or sir how do you pronounce your last name (laughs) son of a bitch you know exactly how to pronounce (laughs) lasheri my 11 year old students can do very well with that Oh, uh, this poor, like, my last name occasionally gets butchered. Floors, Flores, but this, my my guest today, Jay Leshashare, this poor guy and his entire family have probably had to combat that struggle, what, your entire life? <laughs> Basically. I mean, it starts with learning how to spell the bastard. Uh, but it is, I mean, in all fairness, it is a, it's a Cajun word, right? It's French Cajun, right? That's actually not, not Cajun at all. Uh, we're only, like, three generations out of France. Oh wow! Like we came. We, yeah, uh, it was my great great uh, grandfather Jean Pierre and his two brothers came in from Rennes uh, to Pankerville, and they built the Saint Elizabeth Church. And we've been either drilling oil or picking strawberries ever since. Not a bad way to live. I mean, picking strawberries. I don't know about drilling oil, but picking strawberries sounds yeah. cool. I, I do like the strawberries. I don't like the rigs. Okay, so if we can give a little background, where are you from, man? Share with the audience. Uh, I was born in New Mexico, but that doesn't really count because we're just kind of a random transplant there while my dad was getting started in the oil industry. But I I grew up in a place called Homa, Louisiana. It's like on the tip of the Gulf. It's basically as south as you can go and make all your stereotypical assumptions. Most of them are correct. I was going to say when, unfortunately, uh, as unfair it is, unfair it is or not, when people think about southeast louisiana especially new orleans they kind of what they're picturing is kind of what you where you grew up is that fair oh, no, it's, it's exactly it's exactly what they're picturing yeah just the rednecks man just just old backwards thought i mean they'll be sweet as they can uh, on the outside but just somewhere they were taught that skin color does make a difference well and I'm apparently <laughs> but that's i mean that's the i hate to say it but that's to overgeneralize, but that's the South in general, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a lot of parts of the South, and, and there's there's pockets, you know. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. There's pockets. I was lucky, you know, we, we moved when I was like in sixth grade or something like that, and um, went to this place that was near a, a really cool Catholic church, and, you know, very liberal Catholic church, very accepting people, which you don't normally get, and that kind of really kind of helped save me, kind of reopened my eyes to, you know, oh, you know, everyone deserves a chance. And that, like I said, there's, there's good pockets of home as you find everywhere, you know. The more 
you conservative areas, you're going to have the liberal pockets the same way. Like a big liberal area has a super strong conservative pockets. You can certainly find them. But yeah. um, I mean, on the whole, I think homeless needs to progress a lot more before. You know, I'd say I'm proud of all of home. I'm certainly proud of my memories there. I'm proud of some of the people I've known. Yeah. But I'm actually, look, I've actually never been to Homa. Uh, I hear good things. I mean, yes. <laughs> we got a main street that has a couple of New Orleans style balconies. There's a couple swimming pools that I used to run. Yeah. Um, they, they got like three frozen yogurt shops now. Three. Oh boy. It's a metropolitan. And, and I think they got Izzo's too. How cosmopolitan. Anyway, uh, <laughs> not yeah. to uh, – it's a lovely town. It's, the fishing's good, though. Yeah. Can't I, lie, the fishing is fantastic. Yeah, they got a lot of good food down there, too. A lot of good food comes from there. Um, yeah, and as much as I love New Orleans, there are better cooks at home. Not restaurants, but just in general, people from, like, the home area, they, they know how to cook better than the New Orleans area. And it might just because New Orleans had this is so, so transient. There's so many transplants in there. Yeah. They're there for like a generation and think that they can cook a really good gumbo. Like they can't. My opinion on that is I feel like the smaller towns in Louisiana have the better better food because I believe in New Orleans, while delicious and above average flavor-wise compared to the rest of the country, I think they have to cater to a lot of tourist taste buds who aren't used yeah. to that kind of stuff. So they're plants in some areas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I love... I love spicy food. Spicy food don't like me, but I love spicy food. And yes, some of the best dishes I've ever gotten. Yeah. Some of the best dishes I've ever gotten or ever ate in Louisiana uh, have been, have not been in New Orleans. Well, although New Orleans does have delicious ass food. So the other, (laughs) there's two things I want to bring up before we get started. One, Jay, as an English major, is my go-to. <laughs> I don't know how many times just I randomly text you grammatical. Yeah, I, I text Jay just random grammatical things or questions, and I'm like, "This doesn't make sense." And you're like, "No, actually, that's how it does. The English language is awful. It's an abomination. It, it's a hodgepodge. It's it really awful." Is. <laughs> it is one of the. I mean, I don't, I don't think it's the worst. I can't say I'm an expert on all languages. But in the several languages I've studied, it just by, I mean, an exponential amount. English has so many more exceptions and broken rules. Yeah, it's, it's just insane. That <laughs> there's a reason why the gift GIF battle exists. Yeah, <laughs> both are technically correct. Uh, te- I don't like your essentia of this gift, but still, they're both they're both technically correct, and it's and it's that that that'll never end. Yeah, man. The other thing I wanted to bitch in, and I, I gotta say, I'm very, I'm very gracious that he puts up with that because I'm not kidding. I randomly text him stupid inane questions about English, like about the oh, English language, and I'm like, I've done that on my students before. Yeah. You text me right at the beginning of class. I'm like, guys, warm up question, and I wrote whatever stupid question you asked me, and let's see if they can solve it. <laughs> see, I'm, I'm helping. I'm doing my part to help the children. <laughs> You're helping shape and mold those children, John. You're you're a good man. <laughs> I mean, Love I think John. I think I deserve a statue, but I mean, I'm just waiting for the rest of society to catch up. <laughs> maybe one day. Maybe one day. Maybe one day. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention is uh, I've been I was thinking about doing a podcast. Probably uh, started it last year, but I'd probably been debating doing one since 2013. And Jay actually captured the. I guess the precursor or the 
the the early 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 like oh, oh snap yeah yeah do this podcast yeah yeah it was the it was the uh the prototype yeah oh please get Ben in there I will I don't care if you have to film this in Austin I will drive out there <laughs> I want to witness episode two what we were referring to is uh, as I was prone to do in college especially at parties I was incredibly hammered. Uh, previous guest, uh, Ben Casson was also there, kind of hammered. <laughs> we were all just shooting this shit <laughs> on a different level. I was gone. <laughs> so, I don't even, obviously I don't remember what why we started doing this, but me and Ben started having like a fake interview, and we called it... Oh, I remember why. Oh, why? But yeah, okay, so we called it me and my Jewish friend... <laughs> And Jay recorded it, and it lives on on the internet. There is video evidence of this. I'm not going to link it off because I'm kind of embarrassed by it. But yeah, what happened? I don't even remember how that happened. So I don't know if you remember this, but there was that. Uh, I'm just gonna. I'm not, I'm not gonna say her name. Okay. Uh, just in case, but th- there was that girl there who my older brother and I'm not gonna say. Oh, screw it, Michael. He was trying to flirt with her, but he was like ten years older than her. Well, not that that far, but still, like she, he wasn't getting the the, the passive aggressive hands, and she was kind of flirting with me, and so we started that to kind of bug Michael and get him to leave. Wait, we so were. Was, uh, did this girl used to work at the store that shall not be named? Uh honestly, I don't. I don't know. I know she was friends. She was friends with a, a couple of people who worked there, but I don't know if she ever. I don't know if she ever worked at that the place that shall never be named. That's you, been named three <laughs> other names. You left. Um, <laughs> So, I mean, we could probably call it by what it is because it pretty much doesn't exist. But no, like, that was, she She was hanging out, and Michael just kept trying to, like, get, you know, get some lead, lead way. And he was being respectful. It's not like he was being pervy or, like, even aggressive. It's just yeah. he didn't, and then she's like, I'm feeling your little bro more. <laughs> and so we just kind of started ignoring him just to kind of get the hit. But, like, it wasn't like you leave this part that it worked. <laughs> I'm pretty sure, like, a couple minutes into the video, you can hear the door open and close, because you just went home. Oh, the story gets even better. Uh, it's 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 funny in a painful way for me, but it is funny, because, yeah, like... Your audience, I don't understand any of this, but I'm loving it. Uh, it was... It does exist. It's still, yeah, it's still on the internet. It's still on YouTube. <laughs> uh, maybe we'll have... I mean, I'm going to be in town this weekend. Maybe I'll... Me and Ben will recapture... <laughs> time this weekend so <laughs> uh, maybe we'll see how it is Saturday's free uh, I, the problem is I'm gonna, gonna have to do it again I'd have to get incredibly hammered and I don't really want to get incredibly hammered but who knows it just seems to happen when I'm around Benjamin because Ben look, usually look yeah. start Thursday just just nuts. I'm like a gallon and a half of water day prehydrate yeah really hydrated and then on Saturday morning, we're going to switch that gallon jug of water, which you just know, some Tito's, and you'll be fine. You'll get there. Whatever, what always happens with me and Ben, I swear, whenever we go, I go, whenever I get a drink with Ben, Ben is a tank. I don't think, I've seen Ben drunk uh, a handful of times in my life. I've seen Ben incredibly drunk, like one or once or twice, probably. The problem is, it takes like a small grocery cart of alcohol to get Ben incredibly drunk. And it takes me, like, maybe 
eight beers. Like that's that's how I'm, I'm such a lightweight still to this day. So he always drinks me out of the table, and he usually ends up having well several people usually end up having to take care of me because I'm such a I can't hold my liquor to save my life, man. Hey man, that's that's how we bonded. Man. Yeah, that's how good friends right here. Oh Jay, oh, he's yeah. okay. Jay is among the small circle of close friends who have seen me at my absolute worst and just laughed but were also very 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 nurturing and like took care of my stupid ass do i dare on the i'm spider-man night no we're not going to talk about that uh anyway we got we got got important things to talk about we got serious things to talk about uh anyway so jay you are uh a teacher uh you teach young minds as you previously mentioned I do, I do teach children. I do like to say that first before subject. I, I teach children. Yes. Sometimes, you know, that's more important than, you know, the content. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But you do teach, do you, you still, you just teach English or what do you teach? Yeah, it's uh, sixth grade English and I also run the theater club at the school. Oh, nice. So we call Bulldog Bards. That's where <laughs> the Bulldogs, I like puns. It's not even really much of a pun, but... Anyway, 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 you, uh, I've known a few people. We both graduated from the same college. Both of us are LSU alumni. Uh, go Tigers. Go Tigers. I liked them so much, I got two degrees there. There you go. You are one of the few people I know, and I've known several people with, who graduated with education degrees, and you're one of the few people that are still in the game, man, like, yeah, longevity is rare. Longevity yeah. is really rare, and they tell you that. I remember when uh, I started my, because uh, like I said, I went to LSU twice. I got my my master's degree there as well. It's a program called the Holmes program, and there's there's uh, I want to say it's less than twenty, and it, it might be completely different. I might be misremembering. I want to say it's like less than twenty universities around the world and offer this Holmes program. It's this intensive uh, master's in the art of teaching program. You spend like the entire summer, it's like 22, 24 hours summer, then 16 in fall and spring, plus student teaching. I mean, I didn't sleep for a very long time. But they tell us on the very first day, like, you do not want to be a teacher, especially in America. Like, you don't want to be a teacher. And they said, you know, some of us might graduate with 4.0s, but they said within, you know, by the fourth year, you know, most of us probably wouldn't be teaching. And, you know, I, I, I keep in touch a little with some of my courses, like 28 of us. But I know by the time of graduation, like four or five people had already committed to not being teachers before we even graduated. Yeah. A couple dropped out of the program. A couple finished it just so they'd have a degree and maybe go back to it. Within a year, I heard a couple other people dropped out, you know. I really only know for sure, like, four other people in my cohort who are teaching. Yeah. And then... And, and I understand why there's, there's a few times I've kind of want to walk away. It is, it's a gambit. Yeah. One of our dear friends, she, uh, she it was, was her a, friend, by the way, from the, the, that Michael's flirting with. Oh God, I can't, if you're going to edit out, remember her? I got to look her up. I got to look her up because I don't remember this girl's face. Anyway, so one of our yeah. dear friends close to you and me, we, we both have hung out with her a lot. She was, Part of the inspiration being a teacher. Yes. She's the sweetest girl probably I've ever met. When I first met her, she was in, she was in, she was finishing her undergraduate in teaching. And then I've never met someone, no offense, Jay, who was more in love with the idea of teaching than she was. And I say that the emphasis, the key word there is was. Because she, I think, 
I don't think she did the homes program, but she was like very, very committed to being a teacher. And she did, yeah, which is undergrad, but it's real intense. It's LSU. Their education department is. I'm not just plugging because yeah, go Tigers, but their their education department is is pretty top notch. Anyway, she was a teacher for a while. She was a teacher for a few years, if I recall. I can't remember all the how long, but she was a teacher for a while. And she told me, like, when I found out she had quit teaching, I was shocked. I was like, how? Like, what happened? She And she told me, uh, and I hope I'm not betraying any confidence here, but she said it broke me, man. And it wasn't what, – what surprised me, and I think this is going to be a good leaping off point into your, you know, insight and your – what your experience has been – she told me something that I didn't expect. I don't like children. And she was teaching small children. And I, I don't like children. I really don't. Um, I have no, I mean, no, I mean, no ill will towards them. I just want nothing to do with them because in my opinion, children are, you know, chaotic, chaos personified, which isn't their fault. They're fucking children. But she's, she told me, I was, I asked her, I was like, was it, was it the children? Was it harder than you expected? I mean, Louisiana schooling is not known for its like stellar, like, you know, institution. And I was like, what was it? She goes, it was, it was the administration. She was like, the kids were fine. I had no problem with the kids. The kids want some kids, most kids. She was like, it's a common misconception that kids don't want to be in school. A lot of kids want to be in school. A lot of kids like learning. A lot of kids, especially the real bad kids, the ones who act up the most. Yeah. She said, it's not the kids. I love the kids. It was the administration. They, they broke me. I couldn't handle it. The politics, the, the institutional, like, mishandling of things, the inconsistency, it didn't seem like everyone was on the same page, it seemed directionless at times, I just couldn't put up with that, that chaos, and I was, I mean, I, I don't have any children, uh, I don't really plan on it, but I, that's just something, as a kid growing up, being in school, I never thought about that kind of stuff, but I, I just, I never, ever considered that side of the situation. I always figured, very, very stupidly thought that schools were, you know, well-oiled machines. I mean, it was there was order and there was like, you know, organizational efficiency. Not the case at all. Nope. <laughs> so, what, what's been your experience? What do you think about that? Is that a do you is that a common thing or yes. is that yes. yes? Okay, so share with me, share with me in the the audience your take on all of that. Well, I'm, I'm really glad you did this, because um, you, you talked to me specifically on Friday, you know, about setting this up and getting the dates in, and on Friday was a day I was particularly fired up against my uh, administration, or really just one person in, in my administration, and, you know, this is my fourth year teaching, and I know there hasn't been a year that at some point, you know, I haven't fought something with the principals or, you know, gotten in trouble with them, but there also has been a year, you know, they haven't made it clear that they, they value me. And, you know, there's, there's a disconnect. Okay. I don't even really blame administrators, but there is a disconnect. Um, you know, they, they say a mark of a, of a bad teacher or a poor teacher is that they talk to children like peers. They expect to work of peers. They don't meet them where they are. Even in high school, like the teacher who gets frustrated when a kid doesn't know something, they're not supposed to know something. That's why they're in school. Okay. But administration often, because they, they had to be good at what they do to move up administration, you know, for the most part, although, you know, this current uh, national administration is showing, no, you don't, but whatever. Um, 
they often get so fixated on meeting the kids at their level and talking to them because they are children that they talk to teachers and treat teachers a lot of times like we're children. Hmm. And I don't, I don't fully blame, I, and I can't fully blame that because I, at the same time, I've seen teachers act like children. You know, we we complain when we have a 28 size per classroom, you know, and we get help. So that's like a one to 15 ratio, and that's still really rough. But you look at, you know, administrations, most schools have a principal and a vice principal. They're lucky if they have master teachers. That's a one to 40 to 50 ratio. And so I don't think teachers appreciate what administration does. And I don't think administration remembers just how hard, how truly hard it is to be a teacher and how much time is consumed. Like a particular issue I had this this past Friday is we actually had a, a staff development day. The kids did not come. In fact, the kids left at 1230 the day before. And we had this guest speaker and a wonderful, brilliant guest speaker. I thought he was absolutely fantastic and he had some great ideas. I was a little frustrated that we spent so much time just with him speaking because quite frankly, a lot of the ideas he was preaching about, I, I already do. And I can talk about some of those later because I do want to spend part of this talking a lot of fucked up things that teachers do that think are fine. And he brought them up, but you know, we spent so much time just listening and not really developing ourselves or planning. And we're supposed to have the afternoon of Friday free to plan. Okay. And, my planning partner, and she's also my best friend, which is very important. It's why I keep my sanity. It's part of the reason I, I haven't quit. She's a mentor teacher at school, and so she gets pulled away a lot by administration for different things. I'm on leadership as well, so I get pulled away. And we hadn't had a chance to sit together and plan our grade together since school had begun, really. And it was one of those cases where she just, you know, we had that teacher pull her, and we're like, well, no, we need to plan, and it's... And it gets super frustrating. But then I, I looked at it, you know, what they did is they were planning for what the teachers have to do next week. And there's a million things. And it made me really come to a conclusion. It is not the schools that are failing children. It is not the administration that's failing children. It's not the teachers. It's not the students. It's the public. The public is what's truly failing education because they want something that can't be quantified. Because the reason why every teacher is so stressed out, the reason why every master teacher, every you know principal, they're so fixated on test scores, even though anyone who goes into education with the right frame of mind knows that content does not matter. We're teaching these kids to be people, not to regurgitate information. The reason why we have to fixate on test scores and can we move these kids up this band is because the public wants a number. They want to say this school is successful. That's why I'm okay with giving them my money, but... That's not how you measure educational if I, success. If, if I may interject, that, that that's yeah, that's that's a topic. I'm not I, ramble, so please no, no, no. I that that is a topic. I that is a a subject or an issue that I on my own independently realized a while back that there is a fundamental dilemma. The foundation of our education system is built on. It just seems like how do you quantify something that's qualitative like that. It's paradoxical. Like it, like I. I mean, it, it, could be, it could be quantified, though. It, 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 you could. I guess uh, my problem is, parents, uh, politicians, the public—they want absolute, spot-on, correct, like absolute numbers, like no, no, like. It's not just that; it's also the quick fix. Like, and yeah, you look yeah. at everything, every problem with American politics in the last hundred years, essentially, has come down to 
We want quick fixes. We want this done now. We want this done now. We want to be able to see our result, you know, in a few days, not in the few years it takes. Because really, if you want to measure success of schools, you look at the generation of graduates. Say, you know, we're approaching the 2018 graduates. Well, in 2038, let's look at the economy. Because, you know, 20 years after graduation, they're going to be the, the leading force of the economy and the generation comes around them. How is it? If it's doing well and, you know, these people aren't, you know, we're reducing crime rates and stuff like that because schools have a huge effect on crime rate. Mm-hmm. You know, graduate rate far less likely to be incarcerated. That's the measure. Mm-hmm. But people are patient. People don't have faith in each other. And they want to be able, they want to be able to pull their money back. And a lot of people don't even realize that that's the thing. I've heard so many people complain. Like I, I once had a conversation with my dad when um, Betsy DeVos was getting bumped up and, and, and I said, well, I have, I have a lot of problems with her, you know, you know, cause she, she's really hurt public schools in the past. And, you know, she's made it very clear that, you know, she thinks that that, that money is, is tied to your worthiness of getting an education. And, and it's very clear amongst those kind of people. And he was telling me, oh, well, you know, sometimes it is. And uh, I'm like, well, no, I, I disagree. Like you, is everything my parents did for me, they, they provide for me. I'm not lucky. I'm blessed to have that, but I didn't earn it. I didn't deserve it. I, it's, it's luck. And then we're getting in further because they're talking about charter schools, and you kind of want to bring that up. And um, you got charter schools, and for a while in Louisiana, we had the, this, this voucher system that would give taxpayer money to private schools like charters and or various other private schools. That was, for a while, they were trying to get it to go to like the actual Catholic schools and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, once again, my dad was like, I don't see the problem is that, you know, my parents, they put me through Catholic school and me, me and my brothers, we went to Catholic school, but we still paid the taxes. I still went to public schools. And I was like, well, that's fantastic. And you benefited from that. And he was like, what do you mean? It's like, you're like uh, your parents benefited even more by sending you both to Catholic school and still paying for public schools. Because by you getting out, that that's one last body in a seat, which, you know, the teacher will tell you two or three kids out of a room makes a huge difference in terms of success and what you can really get done in the classroom. I says, and the plus that, because that classroom is working a little bit better, those kids are more likely to attain the knowledge they need to learn the skills they need to be productive citizens. And that keeps the community going. It's when kids are getting out of school. It's when kids are, are failing and they're not getting degrees and then there's no jobs for them with low degrees or very low paying jobs. That's what turns people to crime. And so that's why we have public schools because we're better when we're educated. We mess, we make less dumb decisions when we're educated and you got the benefit of also going to private school, but it's not the other way around. We shouldn't be giving public money to get people who are already advantaged. I wanted to interject again, if I may, uh, yeah. two things that I want to, I think the one problem is that I, I like to view I, – I've come to view education as a, an, an investment. But it's it's not your typical – I feel like – I hate to sound like a leftist, liberal, fucking Marxist over here. But I feel like in this capitalistic society that we live in, we expect tangible, uh, tangible – resources to be invested and to produce tangible, you know, dollars and cents 
tangible results. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like we want, we want, you know, give, I, I want to put $10 in. I want it to be invested and I want $20 when it comes out. That, that kind of, that's what I'm. And I want to be able to see the progress as it's happening. Absolutely. I don't want any- absolutely. We want a return on, in, we want a return on investment that's definitive, that is like efficient, that is completely, you know, it's A to B. We don't want any complications. Anyway. But I feel like invest. I feel like education is tangible resources going into, I guess, intangible uh, production. Like it's like, yeah, yeah. It's it's not really tangible. I mean, there's there's little things you can look at. Yeah. But one, you you can literally look at juvenile detention reports. You know, when schools are doing better, the kids in those schools are getting in less trouble. That is, there is correlation there. But that's but but the thing is, a lot of people they don't want to reward kids not getting in trouble because yeah. they don't understand the concept of, of what life might be like, and you know, yeah, it's, 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 it's like you, that that's starting to dig into the whole concept of privilege in this country. Which, dear Lord, you know, if you say the word privilege, you got three sniper rifles set on you. Yeah, it's 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 not even. I I don't even think it's privilege. Well, it is privilege. I'm not going to say. It. It's not privilege, but it's a larger issue of lacking, seeing the forest through the trees and lacking empathy. Like you're like, you don't, we all want to take care of ourselves and our family and everyone directly connected to us, which I mean, that's good. That's me. I I, I believe that's which everyone should strive for. We should be self-reliant. We should be independent. We should be able to take care of our responsibilities, which is nice, but we don't live in a vacuum here, man. We live in a giant society. Where, well, no, that true, yeah. true self-reliance means letting others rely on you as well. Like, yeah. Like, I love people, that, uh, uh, like, so many people, they, they read Thoreau and they act like, oh, man, this man is all about being independent. You don't need anything else. I'm like, if you actually read on Wall, he talks about using other people's tools because simply because they're not using them. and But because they're self-reliant, that, that's fine. That, that's not a competition. That is fine for you to use that. Like, self-reliance doesn't mean you're not helping each other. It just means that you just you're doing it. Like no one has to tell you to do it. You're just doing it. Yeah, it goes into this larger, my larger anti-capitalism sentiments. But that's a whole nother podcast. Uh, Which I wouldn't mind being on. <laughs> yeah, for a, yeah. But I'd want to. I feel like I'd want to have that with someone who is on the opposite side of the spectrum because I feel like it, if it was just me and you, it would be a giant echo chamber. But anyway. Oh, yeah, I mean- We'd be jerking each other off. Circle like, jerk. <laughs> the anti-capitalist circle jerk. Uh, <laughs> right. Love the sweetest man. No, but like it's – if I may touch on a little bit, I think that there's – there is a, a – in society, there needs to be uh, trust and fairness and exchange. Like there needs to be exchange. But I feel like in our society, we expect – uh, markup on all exchanges like we expect something more than what we're giving like that's i feel like that's kind of our culture that's kind of our society uh i can break that further yeah we don't want to give without receiving and that's just 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 drop it there not even receiving more than what we got yeah it's just that innately in our culture we do not give without the expectation of receiving something back and we need to break that yeah, I mean, because in our mind, if we give without receiving, that's ch- that's charity. That's we don't like we we. Uh, but look, we can't we can't even do charity right in this country because it's a tax write off. Yeah, 
it's like we can't even do charity right. And you have, and then you also have companies who, who and I know this is a rant, but that, that say, "Oh, we'll match every every dollar you send up to ten thousand. That means they're willing to donate ten thousand dollars, but won't unless others do it. Like it's 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 the idea. And then then by the way, too, that company that did it. Oh, we matched ten thousand dollars. That means they wrote off twenty thousand dollars, even though they only donated ten. It's it's the whole idea that we cannot give without taking something or getting attention for it, and it's selfish. And that's yeah, that's the root of so many problems. Well, yeah, that's I think that's the root of like human nature. Yeah. But okay, so back to the education thing. Back to the education. We can reel it back yeah. slightly. Uh, when you said it's the public's problem, uh, do you think the public is is synonymous with the parents. Like I hear that all the yeah. time. I feel like that we've we've created this we've created this culture war between school and the administration of the teachers versus the parents. Like those are the sides you take, or I'm sorry, those are the sides that are presented in this debate. Do you think when you said the public earlier, is that the parents in your mind, or is that unfair? It's 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 led by the parents, or, okay. or well, actually, really not really led by the parents. The parents are the militia board; they're the ones who attack you first. But it's really led by people who have nothing to do with like education anymore. And it, you keep like going to Common Core. You mentioned you kind of want to talk about that. Common Core, I think, is a perfect example of public versus school. Yeah. All Common Core is for anyone who is uneducated. Yeah, break it down it for is, us. Break it down for it like, is a yeah. set of standards yes that says from sixth grade to senior the 12th grade to your senior of high school every student in every state across this nation should be able to do these set of skills at this level in english it not only did it barely change anything it also made things easier and a little bit smarter you used to do Oh, well, in sixth grade, we're going to really work on fiction writing, and we're going to do fiction writing all year. In seventh grade, we're going to do nonfiction writing. So in the seventh grade, they forgot how to do fiction writing. And in eighth grade, we're going to learn to take, take you how to do uh, personal narratives. And then, oh, when you're a freshman in high school, forget writing. You're just going to start reading and memorizing American literature, and you're not going to learn anything about how to find the themes. You're just going to have the themes. And, oh, you're going to take your ACT. Oh, you failed your ACT. You must not have studied hard enough. It's it, it, what we do now is we just set every skill for the genres of writing, the genres of reading, and skills that they need, mm-hmm. and we just tip at them. And, and and so I, my sixth graders leave me knowing to a small degree everything they need to know in the world of ELA literature, which is about communication more than anything about how to properly communicate and read situations. And it digs deeper and deeper. Math, once again, the set of skills, and everyone freaked out about like, oh my god, common core math is so stupid. No, you're stupid because you try to learn math by memorizing it. So did I. I was in the generation that still learned by regular math, and I sucked at math because I because I, I'm not I don't have a photographic memory. But the thing that really pissed me off when Common Core came out yeah. was because they embraced the they embraced students like me. Because I would find ways that made sense in my mind to get math problems wrong, get it marked wrong, because I didn't do it the way they said I needed to do it. But Common Core Math, it, it teaches the function of math. It teaches them why 2 times 2 is 4. Not just that 2 times 2 is 4, but why. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, it's a basic set of standards, but it rolls out, and people flip out, saying, oh, socialist. Hey, 
why would you not want your son in New Mexico to have a high school degree to mean the same as, you know, someone else's child in Portland or someone else's in Iowa? Like, it's just, it's saying that your degrees mean the same. Your kids are getting equally prepared because we've noticed they're not. We've noticed that when people are moving from states that they tend to not perform as well. But we're seeing these trends and we've also compared to the world. We're far behind. He's been doing the Common Core math style of learning math forever. Um, there's a great book called The Teaching Gap if you want to figure out why we really shifted to Common Core. That is what suggests reading. But you had all these people who just fought against it and they had no idea what Common Core math was. They never took the time to learn what their child was trying to learn. And so they couldn't help them with their homework. But the kids were doing the work. Yeah. And like that's what bothered my mind, too. They, it was successful. The kids are doing high-level math. And, and I see on Facebook constantly people like, oh, look at what my daughter's doing. She's doing this algebra stuff in fourth grade. I didn't do it until I was a senior in high school, which showed her age. Or isn't, that, she, isn't that um, called progress? <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like, and, and, but then that might be part of it. It's fear. It's fear that the generation after you is going to be better than you. Which yeah. is a lot a lot of people have, but... Uh, what I was going to say to reinforce what you said earlier as far as the memorization. Yeah, I feel like all of my math education, especially in you know grade school, elementary school, and part of high school was, was memorization. And I'm not going to lie. I'm not kidding. I really felt like I learned the function, what you were talking about, the function of mathematics. I learned that working retail. Like I learned that ca- handling cash. Yeah. I learned that through the minor accounting that we had to learn when I worked Actually in retail. Actually working. Yes. And it, I felt like, oh, like if you were to ask me, like I still am proud of myself that I can whenever I do an like I do math without a calculator because I realize my brain has taught itself tricks that I don't need to memorize. Oh, what is that plus that or that? No, I just my brain has like installed the, that application into my into itself, saying like, here's what you need to do logically to figure out what that is. And I do, I, I definitely do agree with. The whole, yeah, we shouldn't be memorizing math. That doesn't help anybody. And you shouldn't be memorizing information. You should be learning information. But that's a whole, that's the, I think that's the crux of the issue. But what, if I may, from an outsider looking in, it seems like the problem with Common Core was, and I think this is a larger issue with the entire, with, I think this is an issue with several facets of our, of our country is it was the federal government stepping in and dictating to the states. And, I feel like there's this country is so big. Like we forget how enormous this country is and how diverse it is that it's really hard for different sections of a country who really don't who we have a lot in common but we don't have we're not completely identical. So we feel like we're getting dictated to from high above and it's like well what but about what about point. us? That's the whole point of the federal government it's why we have it it's 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 an overseer and what it saw was that we had states that were dramatically worse than other states and when they looked why they saw that there were there'd be students in rhode island doing in sixth and seventh grade with students in alabama and louisiana thankfully not my district but still doing when they're in high school and they said this is wrong. Yeah. And if we want one country and we want to make it to where you can drive over and just on a whim say, you know what, screw it, I'm moving to Texas. You know what you did. If they, if they, if you want to be able to do that, you have the right to do that. But if you move to another state, 
and this is okay you have a high school diploma cool we expect you, and they're like you can't do this yeah like it's 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 I mean, it's right there in the title, Common Core, like Common, like across all board, across the entire board, Common, you know? But then, and then my favorite part is there's so many people, like, I I used to work at a bookstore to pay for college, because my grad program, unfortunately, didn't have us TA, so we still had to pay out of pocket. Yeah. So I worked at a Barnes & Noble, and because I was in grad school for English, I had to run the kids and education departments, and we'd get people come in just to bitch about Common Core, and... I'd sit there and they'd be like, one minute, two minutes. I'm like, no, it doesn't. I'm like, sir, I'm working on literally my master's in this. I can show you a detailed report. I just had to explain the difference between Common Core and GLEs. You know, I, what are you basing off of? Oh, man on the TV. Well, man on the TV, that's. <laughs> like, and then those are times, like, I'm, and you've worked retail, there's sometimes you're like, do I need this job? And, like, and, <laughs> but they just stay here and they're like, well, I don't want my kids having to read about uh, this other culture up in Oregon. And first thing, sad. That's sad. <laughs> Second thing, that's not what Common Core means. And third thing, like the fuck you pay attention to what your child reads. I'm sorry. Like, it just, like, you where the internet exists, there's no more patrolling content. Like, it's, it's done. Game yeah. over. You just you lost that battle. Like they they think whatever the hell they want. Yeah, man, it's complex. It's counter. It's that's the other thing. It's not even. It gets to a point where the issue isn't even about. That's I think that's the the other thing about education that unfortunately is a result of our egos and our politics is the fact that it's not even about the kids. It's not even about what we're actually learning. It's not even about this. It all comes down to. Just the the petty ass, stupid ass human nature of it all. Like we're all like, well, uh, you're stupid. I'm you're, I'm not stupid. You're stupid. It's that kind of shit. It, it all boils down to a pissing contest, and it all just devolves. And it's the point is, you at the ground level will be like, can we just talk about the kids here? Can we just talk about what's best for the kids right now? Like that. It's not even. You're not even talking about the kids anymore. Now you're talking about opinions, and you're talking about feelings and sentiments and it's like can we just can we just talk about the kids can we just figure out how do we make intelligent not even intelligent but just you know capable capable that's all that's my goal from a student that they are if they only leave with one quality it's just compassion you know understand the people and they care that's it i think my mother always like i'm like i said i don't plan on having kids but so i have to defer a lot to how i was raised but I think my mother's goal, I think she did all right raising me and my brother, much much less me than him. I mean, he's a functioning adult and I'm a grown man child. Uh, but. <laughs> yeah, but he's oh. got, that, got that aura around him that I just don't trust. No, I say that, but yesterday, he's going to hate me. He's going to hate me for this, but yesterday he got day drunk in the quarter with his, with his wife. Oh, <laughs> I told him, I was like. I was like, motherfucker, you are 30 years old. You are too old to be getting day drunk in the motherfucking quarter. What the hell is wrong with you? It's kind of <laughs> I, I got day drunk in a place called Quarters yesterday. Uh, oh, yeah, Quarter. You talk about the uh, that place on uh, Sherwood, right? Yeah, they 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 uh, redid it. It's okay. actually kind of fancy now. Oh, nice. But, okay, they but, make their own beer. <laughs> anyway, I think my mother's goal, and I think 
this I, this is the way I always look at education as far as what what do we want at the end of all this? What do we want at the end of this investment? Is reasonable, rational young adults. adults. Yes, young adults. Because, I mean, they're going to be 18, and then if they go to college, then that's a whole different – I think that's a whole different ballpark. But from kids, we want reasonable, rational, capable adults who are not stupid – and irrational, and then because I think all irrationality leads to destructive tendencies, and it's just like that's what we're trying to avoid. Like we want yeah. capable adults who will not hurt anybody and hopefully contribute to society. That's I think that's the end goal, right? Basically, I mean, we just and we want to give people a, a chance. We want kids. You learn from what you experience, and what a lot of people don't see. Is almost every like bad kid, like the, the the bad kid, that one kid. Those are always those always end up being my favorite students. Yeah, students are at least the students I spend the most time with because those are the kids who don't have someone at home. And I mean, I've seen so many parents. I've seen parents who want to be there. Yeah, but it's being a mom and she's working two, three full time jobs. Yeah, I've seen I've seen parents who just clearly don't give a damn about their children. They have like six or seven, and they're in and out of jail and. You, you hear about these little stereotypes, thankfully they're very rare, but these they, people do exist. Yeah, they do. And you see these kids, and like I've had so many kids who literally like getting written up because at the very least it meant their mom had to talk to them. Yeah, and, they, they need attention. They need something. And so, but you, you, you see that, and people don't, people don't understand the real value of school. They yeah. don't. They don't understand that this is giving kids in a terrible terrible position a chance to not have a terrible life like one of the big reasons i became a teacher was when i was in school and you kind of know this you, you friends with my brothers and yeah. i'm sure they've this stuff too we had some family dramas and you know thankfully there it's all repaired and we're, we're much better off now but you know cory Mike, they didn't get the brunt of it like when it was real bad i was still in middle school and so i pretty much didn't have parents in middle through high school yeah but at my high school, there had these two wonderful, wonderful educators, Mr. Anthony Joseph and Miss Deanna Joseph, and they're just the, the sweetest people. Um, and they, they they took care of me. They they showed me that you know there was worse because this is painful. Like a parents wouldn't come to a band concert, but you know the second I walked away, like I just that that parental hug, that that, that maternal like love, like they were they they'd make a beeline towards me. And, and show me that, and it just, it really affected me. And so that's part of the reason I became a teacher. I wanted to give back, because that's what school's about. It's not about content. I don't, like, the other day we read Thank You, Man by Langston Hughes, and people know me know Langston Hughes is one of my favorite writers of all time. Certainly, I think he's the most important American author, and could discuss that on another time. But I don't give a damn if they can tell me anything about Roger or Mrs. Luella Bates. I want to know that my kids can read that story and see how it's about a young boy who's in a shitty life. He's just got the, no one's at home. And even when he resorts to crime, he's still worthy of love and compassion because everyone is, because no one is inherently evil. No one is inherently bad. There's always something that brought them there. That And, and then no matter what, no matter what badness someone does, they deserve a chance to be better, and 
we need to let them be better. That's what my goal is teaching English and the stories I use try to revolve around that. But it's, like I said, I spend so much more time just working on a student. I have, uh, like, it's just a student who, just the other day I had a student who got mad because I fussed at him and he told me, fuck you, Mr. J. And I says, walk outside, we're going to talk about this in private. Before I walked out, I, I, my parent had told me that another kid, like when another had come up and pushed against him. And so when I walked in, all I heard was, it was him. And so I go talk to him outside and I'm like, Hey man, I'm, well, what's just tell me what happened. And tell me what happened. He's like, cool. I believe you. Um, so, you know, you're fine. He's like, what? I was like, you're fine. Like you just, we're going to go back in class. And he's like, it, it just cursed you out. I'm getting written up. Aren't I? I'm like, no, like, that's that wasn't your fault and i walk in and like he he had that much better thing and boom just just a much more positive attitude than i've seen all year that's a kid who i know at home does not get yeah the second he's not a kid he's that's a kid at home who doesn't have someone who's looking out for him because he didn't believe me at first like he thought i he thought when i sent him out like i mean i walked out the door he was halfway down the hallway going to the principal's office because he's used to being sent out. Do you uh, do you feel like a babysitter at times? Yeah, but that's part of the job. Okay, that's well, like, I've never I, heard that one. Before. He just complain about that. Yeah, like you. What did you expect? And we chose sixth grade. You're you're at your worst when you're at eleven years old. Yeah, eleven, especially, twelve. Yeah, especially in the group because like you you're learning what sass is, but not what a filter is. You do not have empathy. Your hormones are kicking in. You're getting curious. We give you a damn laptop, and you use that laptop. Um, some kids, kids, kids have laptops now. Jesus Christ! It's actually pretty dope. It's it's pretty. <laughs> cool. I'm such a better teacher. Like I wouldn't be. As, my lessons wouldn't always be as good without a laptop. Not every lesson, but sometimes I use them in a way that's awesome. Yeah. But, um, I know, but like you have some kids who are like hitting puberty, and so they're real aggressive. And you have other kids who haven't hit puberty yet and they're pissed off that they haven't yet so they become like these little tiny napoleon alpha males it's actually always adorable every there's always one <laughs> tiny little just bastard I, I, I always make him one of my best friends immediately because i know he's going to be a bastard when i see him he's just and it's, it's adorable let's get to the nitty-gritty here you talked about uh, betsy devos um our current current as it stands as the time of recording on september 10th uh, 2017. She's the current Secretary of Education. Let's just say there was, I mean, knock on wood, there was a complete overhaul, a regime change. You know, maybe not now. Maybe, maybe let's let's go 10 years from now. Let's go 10, 20 years from now, 10, 15, whatever it takes. And the the president, the current president, is like, hey, Mr. Leshishere, congratulations. I want you to be my Secretary of Education. And let's say you accept. You say you did mention to me off air that. That is your dream job, correct? Yeah, it is. What? I have a who, she has political aspirations. It's, it's, it's that low level, but yeah. I'm dead serious about it. Okay. What? So what, what, I, I guess do, as, uh, to the best of your ability, as concise as possible, what, what do you think, what would you change? Would it be an attitude change? Would it be a culture change? Would it be a logistics change or, you know, like. Well, first and foremost, you have to go in accepting that it's not going to change. I mean, that's that's the political gamut. But so I don't think you'd really be able to change too much policy right away. Ideally, I would be. That's kind of what I want to start low level. You 
you plant those seeds. An attitude change does does need to take place. And thankfully, my school, I, I'm seeing that attitude change so well um, amongst teachers. And because there are a lot of teachers who are mean teachers. Like I remember growing up and hearing kids bitch about the teachers. Oh, Miss Landry, she, she's awful and all this stuff. And I'm like, what are y'all talking about? Y'all are just awful kids to her. And she's just giving you the discipline you deserve. And then I started teaching and witnessing some awful teachers being mean, targeting kids, you know, yelling when it's not even remotely appropriate, having to have the last reward with the kid. Well, I mean, what the hell is that? I mean, you, you've seen that kids fighting a teacher and the teacher has to have the last word. Yeah, it's an a ego kid. trip. It's a power trip. It's a kid, but not even just ego power trip. They're a kid. Yeah, what do you it's expect to get out of this? <laughs> <laughs> you like I've, I've had kids like curse me out like get real mad it's like what are you gonna do about it i'm like i'm gonna go home in the car that i own to the apartment that i own and do what i want to do and i'm like, gonna forget this ever happened it's just like like i'm not gonna let like and don't be wrong it's happened and i, I there have been kids who know how to push your buttons yeah. you know i've had, had a kid last year who and it's and, and it's the 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 I'm not even sure if it was really me being angry, but more or less me being confused. Like, he was, wouldn't stop talking. One, we were starting in the fight, and I knew I was already losing. The second I started fighting back again, I'm like, instant regret. I'm like, damn it, I lost. And then he called me Mr. Monopoly Man. And <laughs> what? Boy, exactly. And so I was, uh, just, just get the hell to the office, Lane. And, and I was like, oh, no. I shouldn't have done Like, I said damn in class in reactions, but I never, like, adequate. I just told the kid to get the hell out. Like, that was wrong. But, no, like, I, but uh, so you see teachers really do that. They have the attitude problem, and they use, like, infractions and referrals and suspensions as punishments. Like, that, that, that asshole kid, he wants to get out of your classroom. Like, you, you win by telling him, I'm not giving up on you. You know, that's how you win. If you think it's important to win, yeah. but to, you want to push the attitude change, and I think that's something that you know, even someone at the top, because you know, as you find out, the people at the top have less power than you think, but yeah. they could do an attitude change. But if I could make one policy change, it would be to abolish national state testing, like the like we do the big state testing. We'll do the national test. We gotta abolish that. It is crap. It is so just horrendously wrong and not just that the way they score them like i mean i'm not going to go into detail to explain exactly what a vam which is value added model what a vam score is but it's it's a it's a national thing it's it's tied to teachers yeah you know do you uh, just for just for reference just for reference yeah. for context are you talking you're not talking about the end of like high school senior level like no. act sat you're talking about like the, the every year i grade school elementary like, schools take state and iowa test the leap test yeah the leap test oh test. fuck the leap test <laughs> yeah exactly it's like it's two weeks of high stakes testing yeah that does nothing but stress out kids and stops us from teaching for two weeks well do you think do, do you want to abolish them or do you think there's there's salvage you could salvage them. and reform them no, that needs to be abolished because the whole part of Common Core is if we're doing that, just the standards alone should show us if our kids are doing it at the same rate. We can just look at their not their their grade books and see if they're doing it. It's I mean, right now it exists more because it makes several companies a shit ton of money. Yeah. Like that's why it still exists. Well if I, if I may more. play devil's advocate here, maybe it's a way to reinforce or to test that the core are being taught and there's no fudging but of no, numbers or anything. You look, 
grades, you can you can audit. All okay. you have to do oh. is you audit school and say, let me see those test scores. Let me, like, the ones you're just straight up doing. Like, I, I'd be happy with, like, district benchmarks. Uh, I, I work in Ascension Parish, one of the top, you know, districts in Louisiana. And we're up there in the nation, you know. It's I'm not acting like, you know, we barely hopped over our low bar there. <laughs> but we do what's called district benchmarks, and every quarter our kids take a Every kid in the, the the school district on the grade, they take the same tests, and it's a little problematic. Sometimes they're a little too hard. Yeah. But what it does, even if it is too hard, it shows that the entire district is doing like that. That is a very minimal way to show if every school is going along the way they should be. Okay. So you like, would, that you, would so you would favor up. a more district level test than a state yeah or a state or federal okay we have the same national standards and we then we say we have to test these standards that that holds it you do do a little bit of our policy but you can do audits and check but the one of the biggest reasons why we need to abolish the the big universal tests is that it it really fucks teachers over Mm. because that thing or attach them so they try to transfer them like oh you got a bad damn score and sometimes it's not fair if you, because how they do it is they take, they'll take like one of my students, just they'll pick a student at random number three, number 47. Okay. They take number 47 and they look at what he scored last year. They look at his uh, demographics, you know, his race, age, stuff like that, even family members, stuff like that. And they compare that to students across the nation that, that fit in those same demographics. And then they estimate a score that they should have. Okay. Out. They do not release how they estimate those scores, mm. and we do not get those scores beforehand. Mm. So we're going blind, and your VAM score gets the difference between what the what the projected score was and the actual score is your VAM score. It sounds pretty fair because if you, I mean, if you are hitting, you know, right where they target, you're fine, okay. you're doing well, and if you hit above, you get the points you do. But the scales are sometimes really ridiculous. Last year, for example, I had a student who came in the previous year was a 407. Mm-hmm. His projected, his total score, like what he actually grew, um, he grew 60 points because, yeah, he had a 467. Okay. I grew that kid 67 points, which is insane. And the kid grew. I, don't, I say I grew the kid. I facilitate. But still, he grew 67 points. That is an, an insane growth. That is so huge because average growth is like 10, 15 points. Oh, he grew 60 points, but they projected him to get a, a, a get to the 80. So I lost 13 points in my VAM score for growing him 60 points. Wait, wait, wait. Talk, time, time, sure, time, I was, time, time, I was time. punished. So they project, so she, he, he scored a 60 something. Yeah. Which is. Like three, uh, like six to four times more than what yeah. he's normal, what was expected, well, what's in the norm. But they projected him in the eighty range. Yeah, and so it was supposed to be like, and like I said, it, I gotta look at the numbers again. It, it could be a sixty point growth, or, but still, the whole point is, doesn't matter if you grew the kid or not. It's if you made it to their arbitrary growth goal. Uh. That does sound and frustrating. What, and what that arbitrary goals goal does because we'll do all these demographics. Okay, what happened if you know the kid's sick that day? Huh? Mm-hmm. What happens if number forty-seven shows up on Monday at the lead test with a migraine headache and a runny nose? Yeah. 
it's and it and it and it's and it's it's just it's ridiculous and it holds teachers down and and I think that's part of the burnout. The burnout is it's frustration because I don't think you enter the teaching profession on a whim. No, you know, the, oh hell no. The, and then because I think honestly, those who do, they don't make it through their program. Yeah, like I I knew people who. Uh, went through go teach the undergrad program like because I, I had a lot of English classes with them, and you know they they did seem like the person who's just looking until they get married and start a family. Yeah. There's nothing necessarily wrong with that, but they almost always dropped out of the go teach program because they realize how intensive it is. Like you, there's so much prep that you don't go in on a whim, but you hit so many walls and you hit so many things in front of you and. Yeah. And, it's, and it's rough. And sometimes the people who are supposed to help you seem to be the ones getting in the way. And then some days you just you just you feel like a, a failure, and you just you're just not on it. It's I, I get that that burnout. So, and I think so, an attitude. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, sorry, that's one policy change. What else would you either reform, you know, or eliminate? Would would you stop there, or is that the biggie? <laughs> Uh, suspensions for like n- uh, nonviolent offenses, like that's got to stop. Um, How so? Like, uh... if a kid, if a kid, like uh, you know, mouths off to a teacher too oh, many okay. times, um, even even kids get in fights sometimes. Like, like get rid of zero, like the, in this, and I don't, uh, I don't want to say like copywriting, but he did put it fresh in my head. The the Brian Midler was the speaker we had. Um, he wants to have a zero tolerance policy on zero tolerance policies. And he's absolutely right. Like, you know, if a kid is trying to walk away from a fight, he's getting pushed and pushed and pushed. And he's trying to walk away. If he turns around and punches the guy, uh, he shouldn't necessarily be suspended, or at least not the same as the guy who provoked him, stuff like that. Or, and especially where suspending kids for not doing the work for just being rude in class, like, you're hurting yourself more because you're kicking them out the class. That's time you're losing with them. Yeah, they're they're not going to do the work. I mean, yeah, we use Google Classroom. Others not like our laptops. All my work's on that Google Classroom. Um, yeah, and but he's not going to do it, and then he or she falls behind, and because they're falling behind, that just ties into the bigger problem why they were probably acting the way they were. And it just digs like they, they, we gotta get we gotta keep the kids in school. And, I, and I've seen some things that I kind of like, but it, it, you can't work with all families. But like reverse suspensions, where instead of uh, you going home for two days, your parents have to sit with you for two days. Oh shit! <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I do, I do, I have an open door policy for parents in my class generally. If they want to come and sit next to uh, their child, to, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a meeting teacher, but sometimes the fear of God is a useful weapon. That's what got. That's what kept me on the straight and narrow. I'm not gonna lie. There's times you gotta crack the whip. There is. I, my mom never had, even had to pick up the whip. She just put the thought in my brain that the whip would get cracked. That's all I needed to know. I was like, nope, I'm I'm all right. I'll I'll play ball. I'll I'll I'll, I'll, I'll be good. Uh, or while I like to be goofy with my kids when I get serious, it's such a dramatic shift. They're like, oh no. Yeah, no, right. You don't. There's a tonal shift in your you know voice and stuff like that. I got uh, the down. So wrapping up. Before we go to the questionnaire, you are you optimistic? I mean, things are getting better. Do you feel? I do. I, I think people are paying attention to the fact that it's getting better. I think things in education are, are steadily improving, um, even if it's just one person at a time. Like that makes a difference. Like it, it's just. Yeah, I think it, the problem with progress is 
that progress, we do achieve things, but that doesn't mean there isn't still work to be done. Like those aren't mutually exclusive. Like it's always not, it's always not going to go straight uphill. You're going to, you're going to slip and fall. Yeah. You have to constant vigilance to quote Matt I Moody. Yeah. But like one thing I will say about Betsy DeVos getting up there and, you know, thankfully not too, she's not, hasn't been able to do too much or more or less maybe been afraid to do too much. Yeah, for real. But, um, I think, I think it's more of the fear side. They're like, Oh crap. Um, (laughs) but my school is very split leftist and right, right. It's like hardcore Republicans, hardcore Democrats to the point where, you know, the the day after the Trump election, it was, you kind of couldn't blame some of the teachers being like, we get to say, we get to say not our president now because y'all spent eight years doing that about him. And I was just like, Oh, well, yeah, but can we stop? Like, we need to be models for these kids. Yeah, can we be like neutral bystanders like, right now? Like, the, the kids. Yeah, but, but what does it have to do with the, the kids? Thing is, with the Betsy DeVos, didn't matter who you were. No one nope. could. Uh, no one could defend it. Nope. No one. Like, some of the staunchest, like most Trump sporting teachers we got. Okay, Betsy DeVos. I can admit that. that that's a mistake. She's just unqualified. Like my understanding. That's like, the, what did she thing. do? I, just her philosophy. It's the fact that she doesn't have experience in a public school, and she's now in charge of. It. Yeah, and we we have a NASA administrator who who's not a scientist. We have a, we have a climate change denier running the EPA. The man sued the I, the, the EPA. <sighs> it's. I mean, we uh, <sighs> we can talk about our president another time. That's a whole another hour's worth of content, but. I don't even have a problem with conservatism. I accept that as a liberal, I'm often wrong on many things, and I'm just backfiring it into my brain, but not him. I can't do him. Anyway. That's that's a dumpster fire. But I think this has been a great chat. I think we touched on a lot of things. Rambled a lot. Yeah, it's, I mean, but you're passionate. That's the point. Like, I I don't mind people. I don't, I, I, the worst thing, I'm going to tell you, man, I've had a few people on here. Most of them have been great. The worst type of guest. Not worse, but just the 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 most difficult guest type to like really get an episode is like people who aren't passionate and aren't are very like tight lipped and stuff like that and very um, people a few words. Those are the that's the hardest because like it's better to have an embarrassment of riches than to have like a deficit is what I'm I'm saying. Like it, the the more content the better. Yeah. So all right. I mean that's been this has been great, man. That's exactly what I wanted. I really felt like we got some insight into. A perpetual uh, debate uh, issue and all that stuff, and I think I hope people have learned something out of it. Are you ready to start the questionnaire? Bring it up. All right, all right, let's see. Okay, what was your first car? Uh, my first car was a 1991 Ford uh, F-150 with pink and blue trim and Yosemite Sam mud flaps that uh, Michael <laughs> both stole and ruined, and got and uh, ended with me driving on rough hour traffic with an umpire. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. Because of Michael. I, I blame Michael did not maintain that truck when he gave it back to me two weeks later. I was, it was on fire. Oh, on I remember work. this. I remember this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. man. That's such a Leicestershire brother situation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> All right. So that's what happened to it. Uh, do you miss it? Yeah, I kind of do. I don't miss the gas mileage. Yeah. I think up. 17 to the mile. The new car I'm driving does 50 on the interstate. Ooh, fuck. Yeah, get that Hyundai Elantra. Uh, amazing fucking car. 
Oh, yeah. just, just, just love that thing. Well, I'm not getting a car anytime soon. I'm going to drive my Honda Civic till it dies. Hopefully, that's me knocking on wood. Not anytime soon, but I love my car. But yeah, I've heard good things about the Hyundai Elantra. Yeah, it's a really nice car. I bought it twice because the first one got flooded. This episode brought to you by the the geniuses and artists at Hyundai. Hyundai Elantra, the best car available. <laughs> Pretty good. Especially in uh, electric we're, blue. We're not sponsored by anybody. <laughs> Although we would be, I would be accepting sponsors from select oh, no. people to make free shit. Here's the deal, John. We're going to convince them. We're going to convince Hyundai to, to sponsor us because until they do, we're going to talk shit. Fuck you, Hyundai. <laughs> Fuck you in the ass. Kia is the better Korean What car. kind of name is Hyundai anyway? <laughs> you know, if Hitler was in Korea, you would make it more. Hyundai, the Hitler of auto. <laughs> the Nazis of Korea. Hyundai. Oh my god, please don't sue us. <laughs> No, man, I want some sponsorship from, like, Nike or Red Bull. Like, I want some free shit that I'm actually going to use. Yeah, Red Bull Red Bull sponsorship would be pretty great. Okay. Who is your role model or role models? That'd be uh, the Josephs that I spoke uh, spoke on to earlier, the, my band director and English teacher from high school. Uh, wonderful people. In fact, that's part of the reason my students don't call me Mr. Lushashare. Like, I teach them to say it, but I'm not a dick, so I don't ever make them write that down. Yeah. Uh, so they call me Mr. J, but... I say it's just so it's easier, but it's really because, I don't know, I like to honor Mr. and Mrs. J because that's what we called them in high school. Oh, nice. That's sweet. Are they still around? Do you, do you still keep in touch if they are? Yeah, every once in a while I talk to them and, you know, they come to Baton Rouge every once in a while. They, they like that Texas State Brazil place. And when I get a chance, I always try to run who into the, them and say, <laughs> Who the fuck doesn't like Texas State Brazil? That's the real question. It, vegans? Well, I mean, uh they're no, non-applicable. I, and I actually even think vegans are like, oh shit. For that's such a deal. We gotta go. I mean, it's morally opposed, but damn, that's At a good deal. At the very least, they can have those fried plantains that are amazing. <sighs> okay. Dude, uh, I want to go to Texas for Day Brazil when you come down next weekend. Are you buying? I'm not. Sp- I'll think about it. I should have a bonus this paycheck. If I do, I'll buy it. That's what's up. I, I've actually never been. <laughs> I've heard. I've only heard good things though. I got um. I got I got uh, Steven and Rachel, previous guests on the pod. I got them as a Christmas present. I got them a $100 gift certificate to uh, Texas Day Brazil that they very much enjoyed. I have, not, I have not gone yet, but if you do take me and buy me, don't expect anything afterwards, sir. I'm not that kind of girl, all right? And I'm not that kind of guy. <laughs> okay, all right. What's something most people don't know about you? I think it's, I, I, it's, it sounds cliche, but I try to live my life like an open book. <laughs> um, that is a common uh, theme with this question. Uh, yeah, I guess it's it's something that that does I do find surprising a lot of people, especially because maybe I don't talk about it as much as I used to. Yeah, but that uh, I, I did, and, and getting and I'm training to get back into it. Uh, aerial silk acrobatics. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, if you you can actually see some of my old videos on the LSU aerial page. Yeah. Um, and another, and another thing that most people don't know about me is that uh, I am an amateur but avid lover of uh, Dungeons and Dragons and Pathfinders, the tabletop role playing game. I'm actually on a podcast myself called Down South Dragons. You can find us on Facebook. That's Down South Dragons, and John's a cunt. He will uh, uh, that, but I hope he doesn't. Well, you need. I'll link to it if you. Uh, I'll, I'll get, I just gotta find the link. I gotta get the link. Yeah, uh, I'll send you the link. Okay, yeah. Uh, but yeah, first plug. 
first other podcast plug I think I've ever done. Uh, yeah, it's well, it's it's silly D and D, and at the first couple episodes, I have no idea what the hell I'm doing, and I'm getting progressively drunker, and you can tell. <laughs> I've never played D and D. I hear it's fun. It's now. super fun. Yeah. It's super fun. I I it I have nothing against it as a fellow nerd of fan of nerdy things. I I'm not a more I'm not like oh dude that's so beneath me. That's not my kind of thing. I just I got roped into it and I started I even started a little club at school. It's super yeah. easy to pick up and it's real fun. Yeah. Okay. Next is hold on. Shark diving, bungee jumping, or skydiving? Skydiving. Not not even a question. Yeah. I want to skydive. Yeah. Uh, but jumping, I, I, I think, would be tame for me. Like. Like I said, the silks, like, yeah. I mean, I would do drops from the silks without it bunging. So I'd take the pains as, like, bungee would be, like, weak. Yeah. Uh, no, actually, it's much jumping is also, like, 30 times more dangerous than skydiving. That's why I prefer skydive, to be honest. Yeah. yeah, those people who, I've had a few people say shark diving, and they're fucking crazy. There's no way. I just, I, I don't get the point of it. Like, shark diving to me is, like, watching scary movies like i don't understand like some scary movies are cool because when they have like a really great narrative like the hit yeah. that's in theaters awesome because that narrative is good yeah i want to uh, see it i don't know if i'm gonna get a chance to this weekend or next but i do want to see it it's good it's it's really good yeah but i just i, I don't understand the point of just cheap scares and yeah. just jumps even though I work at a haunted house where I do, I understand from the other the other way around. Seeing people scared is, is fun. Yeah. But why pay money to give yourself those scares? So I wouldn't shark dive. Okay. Like, I don't get it. Okay. You're wrong. All right. Coke, Pepsi, or other? Cherry Coke. I guess, yeah, sure. Why not? I don't know. I know you like your Pepsi. It's because it's, look, I don't want to be, I, I, I hate to be dismissive here. But I just think uh, Pepsi's objectively better. Like, it's like... It, they're not... I, I don't think they're the same... I don't think they're the same kind of thing. <laughs> like, I don't I don't think they're... The, cola is too broad of a term. Yeah. It's, if anything, Pepsi is a, is a closer comparison to Dr. Pepper than this Coke. Yeah. They're, they're, they're not... They're, I feel they're like there could be an argument to be made to that. They're, yeah, there's, there's probably something to that. Because there's times where I'm like, I want a Coke because it's a little smoother on your tongue. Yeah. And then sometimes I want Pepsi because it's got that, it's got a big, like, it's like, it's, they're two different things. It's, I don't really think of them as, I like this one better. It's as just, I, uh, oh. as I previously mentioned, I do love Pepsi over Coke, but I, I'm Bart's root beer all day, every day. Bart's root beer is, is generally better. Yeah. Also from it's New Orleans. Fast bottle. Okay. Let's say for whatever reason, I don't really know how a situation like this would arise, but let's go with it. Let's say you unexpectedly got an afternoon off, like for whatever reason, like you're like, "Oh, Jay, we'll take care of the kids. You go have a afternoon to yourself." What, what would you do? Well, in the, the past year, that's actually happened twice at school. Uh, both times, you should have been preparing for flooding because uh, all the time have school like uh, it was before the big August flood last year. We get to schools like, "Hey, we're off. We celebrated. We shouldn't have." And then two weeks ago. When uh, we had the Harvey was coming around, yeah. it was close enough to where they closed they closed school for a couple of days. Yeah, like hey, go home, but don't tell the kids we're leaving at twelve thirty, and that is not a grenade. One teacher accidentally set that off, and so we had forty of our hundred and twenty kids know that that we were leaving. Oh, chaos! So, what would you do? Would you just go chill or take a nap, or what? Um, it really depends. Like, it's 
they they're so unexpected that like I don't have a, a get to go. It's just I kind of feel that moment. Sometimes like a few of us teachers will go, you know, to a local bar or restaurant and just kind of drink and get appetizers. There sometimes I approach just I'm just gonna go nap because you know teaching is is hard. Um, um, but really it's just if I have a complete afternoon off if I can do whatever I want it it probably would be just, you know, go to a bar and read a book. Oh, that's nice. Now, you can use Baton Rouge or Homa, whichever one you prefer to use on this next question. What do you love the most about your town, and what do you hate the most about your town? Well, what I hate about both of them is that they're racist as fuck and are open about it <laughs> and will fight you to the tooth about their racism if it's not. And then, and then they're like, well, I'm not a racist. Oh, you kind of are. <laughs> I understand no one wants to be a villain in their own story, and racist is a bad term, so they know that means villain, yeah. but they, they, they'll they do all the mental gymnastics to explain it. I mean, I'm sorry, there is zero argument, piss people off, I don't care, there's zero argument to keep those Confederate statues all around. They are not only they are traitors to this country, most of them, some even far worse, several of them had plaques literally, you know, celebrating white supremacy and statues. Yeah. By their nature, celebratory. They're not about remembering history. And everyone's like, we're going to forget our history. Well, maybe if you learn to read, you can open up a history book and see that it's yeah, preserved. We have Wikipedia now. We don't We don't need. But the, well, yeah, but if, if but if a fat, angry guy and a pretty blonde isn't yelling at them on Fox News, it's not true. Yeah. Okay, so that's what you hate the most. What do you love the most about either or of your town? Towns. There's, there's pockets of weirdos and just good friends like just is beginning it in this and i'll say this is why i love traveling to you know specific liberal pockets like one of my best trips i've ever on was Asheville, north carolina oh, yeah. was, they have uh was, unc Asheville out there right yeah yeah and it was this this wonderful like you know all, i mean every restaurant had its own brewery attached to it which was awesome yeah um but this cool, just liberal, like awesome place. You know, I, uh, I need to get down to Austin, but you know, Baton Rouge and even Homa had a few pockets, and not not so much anymore. Yeah. But uh, like, there's there's just pockets of like cool places to go to, like just cool chill bars, or just wait and go listen to good music. You got weird people who just learn to just exist yeah. in these environments, so they just you're having fun with them. I will say, uh, in the uh, I've been here. How long have I been here? I've been here a year and seven months, or nineteen months. Uh, I will say that yeah, Austin is very liberal. Like it's very, very liberal. But I'm not gonna lie to you, man. There's like fake liberals who are like on the slick, like make America great again, motherfuckers. Like they're I'm like, oh, you 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 act like a liberal. You 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 pass yourself off as a liberal, but on the slick, you're like. Mm, I'm kind of glad my president is white again. It's like, wait, what? <laughs> that kind of shit. Well, <laughs> well, I think that comes down to something I, I've been thinking about a lot lately. I was talking with another friend. I, I think there's, I think I might have figured out like the, the true difference between a liberal and a conservative. Because the, despite what one party wants to say about the other, yeah. at the end of the day, Everyone wants everyone in the world to be happy. That is the most ideal solution as everyone in there. The difference is how we get there. Yeah. Conservatives are more logical, and this is more logical. This is more pragmatic. You got to give it to them. That 
if we focus on making ourselves happy and all of us making ourselves happy by ourselves, then we will, that's the only way we're going to give world peace. And then when we achieve that peace, we can then use that to help others. That's the whole idea of how job creation is really, truly great when it's, we're just paying people to not create jobs. But it's that if I worked on myself first, liberals on the other hand, except because tend to be more emotional, you know, that kind of side, say, I can't achieve happiness unless I'm helping others achieve their happiness. Hmm. And that's illogical because then you, at some point, you realize that it's going to take much longer for everyone to achieve happiness. Yeah. So you. And I think that's just what it comes down to. And I think when you really look at it, and so you, that's why you'll have so many people who will say, or especially when they're young, they're in high school, they're in college, and they'll label themselves a Republican or Democrat and have views that go across the lines. And like, and like, like they'll have, they'll think this one thing economically, and they'll think this one thing socially, and they'll have these diverse opinions. But by the time they're out of college, because that's when they're really starting to pay attention to politics and news. Because the parties, as they are drawn right now, and as they preach to themselves and their masses, are so divisive, they no longer have those views. They just look at themselves, and they just take a check mark. Oh, i got more on the left side. I'm a Democrat. Oh, i got more on the right side. I'm a Republican. And then they just entrench every view that's told to them. Yeah. Everything. Then they start looking only to their news sources, and they believe it as law and refuse to hear the other side. Yeah. I think the one true difference is just as a as a very minute philosophy that is flexible in and of itself. And there are times where you have people on the other side who believes in working on themselves, but then they see those around them because they are human. They have hearts. They have compassion. They stop working on themselves. They stop helping themselves, and they actually pick each other up. Big proof of that the Cajun goddamn Navy, because you know most of those people on those boats were conservatives. Yeah. But there's a time where they look at the world and says, no, it's not about me. It's about others. It's just a shame that it it might take a national disaster for that to happen. But It does, but it, but it proves that it's there. And, and, and Oh, yeah, everyone's capable of being yeah. a, a good person, but it's, it's, it's not the extraordinary situations that we need it's, to focus it's, on. It's, it's the everyday. Anyway. <laughs> Wait, you yeah, tra- I think you're breaking up. I'm just ranty. Yeah. Anyway, okay. <laughs> Good talk. Okay. Uh, have you ever used a pickup line and or has one ever been used on you? Yeah. I, I, what, I mean, it's kind of it's just a Tinder line. Sure. I mean, go for it, man. There are no rules here. Uh, well, I, there's actually two. One's not really a pickup line. But it's, it's, a, it's a lame joke, and I'll, I'll say it after. Um, but uh, on a Tinder profile, back when I, like, used it, and at this point, I'm just like, no. But, um. I literally just put the stupid ones like, oh, man, I'm glad I learned American Sign Language. It comes in handy. It's just a silly joke. <laughs> but um, uh, no, it's, it's pretty handy. Now it comes in. It's pretty handy because it's all hands. And so many girls would, that's so cool that you learned. And I would always correct them. And then one of them I did. I was like, yeah, it's, it's really useful. And we went on a date, and she was awful. Like, and just, just and not that she was bad. Just her and I, just we didn't mesh. And yeah. you know, I was like, oh, but it worked though, because that's what God ran. She's saying how she's she wants what she wants to do. She she she's working on, on education. And I was like, oh no, that was a mistake. Um, the other thing that that worked out well for me is, um, you know, the comedian Pete Holmes. Oh yeah, I love Pete Holmes. He his Batman impersonation is awesome. 
Do you know his uh, wand joke? No. All right. Well, um, I saw this old. I, uh, I saw this old friend uh, who, at the time, lived in my apartment complex. Apparently, like we had seen each other for a few years in college. I saw her, and, and she and she she was like, "Hey, you know, I hadn't seen you in a while." And I found out that she had pre- well, I found out later she had apparently that day dumped the uh, broke up with her boyfriend, and okay. she's like. And she like came up to me and like kind of real sweet. She's like, you know, you're always so funny. And, you know, same thing. Like, like, I'm listening to literally listening to the one joke, and I just let her listen to it. And it's just the this is the impression of my guy, uh, my friend, telling his friend Juan that they finally broke their uh, soccer losing streak. Juan, Juan, we won one, Juan. We finally won one one. Where were you when we won one one? We won one one. It was one to one for the longest time, and then we won one one. Penalty kicks. And she, and she just laughed so hard, and then just started making out with me because I let her listen to a joke, and I lived with that for like a month. I was like, what the hell? And then I saw, I found out like she had just broken up that day. I was like, oh, that's all that was. I was used. Rebound. <laughs> I mean, it worked. <laughs> yeah, it was a nice afternoon. <laughs> I've had worse. Okay. Uh, last question. What's your dream vacation? I actually got to live it last summer. Oh, good. And it's and it's it's, it's not just a specific locations. This kind of idea is the day after school I did last year. I got on a plane. I flew to Los Angeles and I stayed uh, for about a week and a half with uh, one of my best friends of all time. I love her so much and I've been missing her since she moved out there. Uh, but I stayed with her and it just every day, you know, just walking around She li- where she lived. Um, it was like 10 minutes to the La Brea Tar Pits and the LACMA and all these different museums. So all day I would just walk around going to every restaurant, just eating this, this crazy good food, going to these museums, seeing everything. Got to go to this fancy car museum. And, and just everything about that place was just so perfect. And it was just good to not have anything to goddamn do, which is, you know, that, oh, yeah. it's such a feeling for me. And be able to just walk around. Like, we went to beaches, you know, even on, like, just foggy days. Oh, this one place, I can't think of the name of it, but I, I think I'd actually be able to find it. Just, just I'd sense it in the hills. Um, but we went down to Long Beach and... Yeah, oh, I hear Long Beach is incredible. Oh, it was beautiful. It was real dusty, and, and, and in fact, actually, uh, my hair, fellow Harry Potter nerds, will know exactly what I'm talking about. We went around this cliff, and it looked exactly where Voldemort hit his last Hogwarts trucks. Like there was even a cave, and we went exploring the cave. And I was like, "This, this I was felt like a nerd, but I was so happy." Uh, yeah, man. I guess that's the difference. Like, I, I think that's the difference between like a trip. And a vacation, like a trip, you go to do things and you're like, okay, we got to hit this spot, that spot, this spot, this spot. We got an itinerary. We got things to do. We have plans. But a vacation, I think, is more broad and you can just, just, just. Bake. It's a location. Yeah, I want to go here yeah. and see how it goes. Yeah. And just, just relax. Just be free. I want to listen to music. I want to see, see comedy. Like, I, I don't even know how, how I didn't mention it. Uh, I'm uh, practically obsessed with Dan Harmon, uh, the writer of Community and Rick yeah. Morty and amazing things of that just this brilliant writer yeah. uh, i literally do 
story circle to teach my students how to write stories, and it works very well. Uh, but I, the part of the reason I went to Los Angeles is I, I love his podcast, and, and I got to go see it live twice, and it was just just amazing. And I made it freestyle rap because I got to go rap, and he, he did it. He asked for a beat, and then he rapped. It was awful because Dan Harmon can't rap, and that's, that's the beauty of it. So he does have a shortcoming. <laughs> He's not incredible and perfect the all the time. Is, though, it's, 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 it's artistically bad. So no, it's not yeah, a shortcoming. Yeah, yeah. It was comedically bad. Yeah. It's, it's so perfect. Yeah. Um, but no, just, I like doing stuff like that. Like just, like you said, it's just, I want to go to a place and, and explore Yeah. and just see what's there. Yeah. That's my dream. It could be anywhere. It could be Austin. It's a great town, man. Pantent. <laughs> you could, man, my door is always open, motherfucker. You you could, you could roll up. I don't care. You just got to make sure it's not like. I got to warn you though. If it's if it's like the first week of the month, I can't really do anything because I work in accounting and that's like always our crazy time. So, or especially at the end of a quarter, like we're coming up at the end of this month is the quarter. Like that's that's awful. Like those are the worst yeah. times. But middle of the month, hence why I'm going out of town in the middle of the month. Perfect time. Middle of the month, third week of the month. Perfect time. Like the first week of the month and sometimes the last week of the month, bad times because it's usually crazy. But uh, yeah, man, yeah, man, fuck. I tell everybody, it's like, yeah, man, you want ever anybody ever want to come here to visit Austin? It's only an eight. Well, for you, it's a, yeah, it's about a six, seven hour drive depending on traffic. But uh, uh, it's a great town to come visit. Uh, you could crash on my couch. I have a twin air mattress that's really small, but I mean, it, you could sleep on it. Uh, yeah, man. No, no problem. Don't worry about it, man. Go get some shrimp tacos, dude. Some great ass shrimp tacos. You motherfucker. Dude, they're the you best. Know <laughs> anyway, okay, that's gonna do it for this episode. It's probably gonna go up. Uh, what is that? The twentieth? Yeah. So the twentieth. Um, nope. Yeah, we're recording it. Like I said, we're recording it a little early uh, because I'm gonna be out of town next weekend. And next weekend, I usually record the weekend before the episode goes up. But yeah, so. Yeah, thanks, man. This was great. This is exactly what That's I wanted. Good. Yeah, we're. T- I don't think I'm gonna cut uh, much I, out. You probably, you can probably cut out like 15 minutes, man. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. I mean, it. It was good. It was all good. Like I, like I said, I prefer an embarrassment of riches. You know, yeah. I, don't, I don't mind. I don't mind having to trim. I don't mind. All right, guys, that's gonna do it for us. Uh, I guess I'll see you. Hopefully, I'll see you this weekend. I mean, I don't. I, I don't know what my plans are. I'm kind of. I'm just winging it. Like we're just gonna, just gonna do what I want. Yeah, Maybe we can get a drink. <laughs> You're breaking up again. <laughs> no, no. If it sounds good, get that straight. Okay, good. All right, man. I'll talk to you later, my brother. All right, later, man. All right, bye.